You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. During this season, we're doing a series called The Summer of Story. And we're emphasizing how we all live from an inner narrative, whether we know it or not. And the stories that we listen to form us. We become uh, the people we become because of what we listen to, what we hear. And I had a spiritual father of mine who would say, what you, what you believe rules you. It matters. And what that means is that the predominant narrative or the inner conversation that we have is important because it forms us. Um, Jesus said, the words I speak unto you, they are what? Spirit and life. The words of Jesus are so valuable and they're so trustworthy that we can build our lives on what he says. And so our spiritual formation is so important. So let me ask a question. Are we, as Jesus identified, building our house on the rock of his word or on the sand of human reason or current opinion? Is our spiritual formation coming from honoring the scriptures or from sources that will not sustain, will not enable us to live abundant lives? So I want to Welcome John Mark this morning. He's going to share with us, and I know it's going to be really good. Thank you. Hey, how are you? You're good. You're good. That's good that you're good. Um, yeah, so we're doing this whole series on story. And I know story has been a little bit of a... I guess you might call it a buzzword over the last few years in church um, and uh, culture in general. And I think that's for a very specific reason. I think that we are currently living in what you might want to call a meaning crisis. Um, and I'll talk more about that next month when I continue sort of uh, maybe the sister message to the one that I'm trying to bring today. Um, but there's a very specific reason we're talking about story. It's not just the buzzword or the thing to say. Um, let's jump in, all right? The um, title of this message is called Invisible Ink. I stole this uh, title from one of my favorite books on writing, which is also called Invisible Ink. All right, if you would... Maybe just receive these words as we get started. The story of God is being written even as we speak. And you have a role to play in it. You don't have to be famous. You don't have to be good at anything. You don't have to be rich or wise. You don't have to be a zealot or a fiery preacher. You just have to be willing I believe the kingdom of God is and has been moving in your own quiet life for some time. It just takes time to learn how to see it. But if we're willing to become disciples of Christ, then we can learn over time to recognize the invisible movements of God in the seemingly common spaces that we occupy. But it all begins with a simple command. 
change your mind for the commonwealth of God is already here. If you would stand up and we're going to read some scripture together. We'll start with Romans 12, 2. Should be on the screen. Do not, here, we'll read it together. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. That's a good one. All right, the next one is from Proverbs 4. All right, here we go. Keep your heart with all vigilance, for from it flow the springs of life. All right. And the last one is from Matthew 4. And it's the more traditional version of what I just quoted. Here we go. Ready? Matthew four seventeen. Repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. All right. You can sit down. I'm going to start here in Matthew 13. I'm going to mostly be jumping around Matthew. Matthew for me anyway is sort of the spiritual formation um, gospel, um, and, and the parables, especially in a series of story is a good place to start. I'm going to start here in Matthew thirteen thirty one. All right. This parable of the mustard seed, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. You know, Queen City Church just turned 12 years old. Last week on Father's Day, Queen City Church turned 12 years old. But I was thinking, and this is just, where my mind goes. You know, the story of Queen City Church, in a sense, began on a Sunday back in June of 1799. June of 1799. See, if there was no Charlotte, there would obviously be no Queen City Church. Well, maybe there would, because Cincinnati is also known as the Queen City. But it would be a name alone There would be no us. My parents, I believe, met in Charlotte. I was born in Charlotte. I grew up in Charlotte. I met my wife in Charlotte. We had our children in Charlotte. Most of our closest friends live here or did at one time. I've often wondered who I would be if there was no Charlotte. Would my family exist? Would I even exist if there was no Charlotte? When you think about the billions of tiny coincidences that had to happen for you to exist, it's mind-blowing. The fact that you're here at all is an overwhelming privilege, a miracle in and of itself. Think about this. I know this sounds stupid, but I promise I'm going somewhere. How many parents do you have? Two. You can repeat back to me. That's easy. How many parents do you have? How many grandparents do you have? How many great grandparents do you have? 16. (laughs) Math gets shaky the further along you go, I can tell. 
How many great-great-grandparents do you have? 32. How many great-great-great-grandparents do you have? 64. How many great-great-great-great-grandparents do you have? 128. I'm trusting you on the math here. It's great. Okay. I think a thousand years is like 40 generations. Do that 40 times and think about how many human beings had to make decisions for you to be here. If your great, 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 great grandmama and your great, 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 great granddaddy didn't decide to go to that barnyard dance. If he didn't see her across the room and work up the courage to go ask her to go out on the dance floor. Or if she had not been able to see beyond his, his cheap clothes and see something special in his heart. You would not be here. Or if your great, 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 great grandmother had not married that horrible human being who she ended up divorcing and still became your great, 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 great grandfather. If she had not done that, you would not be here. You, it's just absolutely, when you dig into just the math of what it took for you to just be sitting right here for you to exist at all it will mess with your mind it really really will right so take a minute and feel something close your eyes for a second all right feel that that's a feeling that doesn't happen almost anywhere else in the entire universe because as far as we can tell There seems to be no life anywhere else. And if there is, the fact that we don't know about it shows you how rare it is in the first place. Every single life is precious beyond your ability to even begin to conceive. Every single human being who ever lived is a cosmic unicorn. Unheard of in the cosmos. You are the only one. You are the only one of your kind, the first and last you. And that's not just like some kind of like encouragement speech. That's not just inspirational talking. That's like 100% true, both spiritually and naturally. By science And by Jesus, you are like solid gold. All that to say, without Charlotte, there would be no me and maybe no you and definitely no us. And Charlotte in some ways began on that Sunday afternoon in 1799 because A teenage boy named Conrad Reed decided to skip church and go fishing. 
Does anybody know this story? He didn't catch any fish that day, but he did stumble upon a yellow rock the size of a football. He took it home to his father, John, who was also excited to see the metallic stone. Was not only pretty to behold, but as Conrad had noticed, excuse me, it was not only pretty to behold as Conrad had noticed, but was also quite heavy for its size. And so John thought it would make a very useful doorstop on human summer afternoons like the one we have today. So the 17 pound gold nugget set on John Reed's porch for three years as a doorstop. 17 pound gold nugget sat on John Reed's doorstop for three years. That tells you something about John Reed. It also tells you something about everyone else in town. (laughs) But there's still a lot of gold sitting on people's doorstops, right? Until 1802, when a jeweler from Fayetteville identified the rock as a large gold nugget. He told John Reed to name his price. Reed, not understanding the true value of gold, asked for what he thought was the hefty price of $3.50, which even back then was only a week's worth of wages. Not long, not long afterward, people began to come from all over the world in search for gold in what is now the greater Charlotte area. Of course, a few years later, after gold was discovered in California, many left, but a lot of them stayed and helped develop industries that would help make Charlotte into what it is today. Had Conrad not gone fishing that day, you and I might not even know each other. I might not even exist. But John's Rock told a story. And if you'll notice, it told a different story to different people. To Conrad, it was pretty. To John, it was useful. To the banker it was profitable but to millions of us here today it's the reason we have a city when you leave here today look down tryon or i-77 and see the buildings uptown and ask yourself is this the fruit of john reed's story stories have a way of moving from the invisible world into the physical world they shape our inner reality in a way that causes us to lean on the outside world the stories you tell yourself produce actions and they influence even subconscious micro decisions that over time have an accumulating effect this long-term effect we like to call fruit Let me tell you another kind of cheesy story, but it's true. All right. So I had these friends. uh, Many of you may know I'm a musician, a songwriter. And I have friends who write songs and perform. And I had these friends who, um, they're in a rock band. And they got this opportunity to open up for like, you know, some youth group, sort of more mainstream worship type stuff. And they were playing these very large arenas. And the people looked at them like they were insane right uh they obviously didn't fit they're more of a rock band they wanted to be playing with like the killers and kings of leon and you know and they were opening up for 
not going to say, right? And, and the crowd, every night the crowd looked at them like they were dumb. And what happened is they would walk out and they would not give their, their best because they thought nobody here cares. But one night they had a little conversation in the green room and one of the guys says, you know, there's like four, five, six thousand people here. All we need is like a hundred people to connect with us. And we've had a valuable night, but we will never see or hear or know that they're there because most people don't want us here or don't care. So what we have to do is we have to tell ourselves a story that makes us perform in a way to where those 100, 200, 300 people who we will never know connect to our music. Because if we don't like what we're doing, even those very small group of people who are interested in what we're doing are not going to connect. So they said, okay, we are going to start pretending that our hero, Bruce Springsteen, is in the room every single night. Because if your hero walked into the room, it wouldn't matter if the crowd was responding or not. You were going to give your best, right? And over the years, they had more and more opportunities. And I think often because of their philosophy towards what they do every night. They were going to serve the audience to the best of their ability every night, no matter whether or not the audience was responding or seemed to care. Over the years, they had bigger and bigger opportunities. And then at one point, they ended up opening up for a very, very popular pop star. And this pop star was playing Madison Square Garden. And a young lady made her way onto the guest list because it was her favorite singer. And she got on the guest list because her dad happened to be a very important singer who pulled some strings to get her on the list. And he decided to show up and see the show. And obviously, his name was Bruce Springsteen. So as cheesy as it sounds, it's 100% true. They decided to tell themselves a story. And they acted out that story every single night. And not just because of this story, but also because of this story that they told themselves. At one point, the story became a reality. They pretended that Springsteen was in the room every night. And then, at one point, he was actually in the room. I mean, this is an, an extreme example, obviously. I've been imagining Springsteen for 20 years, and he has yet to materialize at my show. So there are zero guarantees, but the principle rings true. The trajectory of your life is often shared by the story you tell yourself about the world. I've got a sniffle, I'm sorry. There you go. Okay, just for a second here, let me talk a little bit about spiritual formation before I continue. Whether or not you know it, we are all being shaped. Paul says in Romans 12 too, we just read it. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. We are all being formed all the time. It never really stops. Certainly there are more formative moments and seasons, but it never really ends. You are always in the process 
of becoming. This process is guided by a number of factors and forces. Some of these forces are out of your control. But some of them are in your control. As I see it, good spiritual formation includes taking responsibility for the things we can control and allow them to be guided by the words and presence of Jesus in a way that shapes the inner life. One way we can take some control over our inner life is to begin to take responsibility for our story. Your story is what you tell yourself about the world. It's your inner dialogue. It's the way you talk about yourself when you're not listening. It's the way you think about the people in your world and the way you think about God. If you have no formational practices, if you are not actively choosing the sources that form your story, then someone else is probably composing it for you. And whoever it is might not have your best interest in mind. That's a hard thing to hear, but it's true. And if we're not here to talk like this, then what else are we here for? Well, we're here for a number of reasons. But most of us assume that our thoughts belong to us and that we're thinking them independently. But if you know anything at all about marketing or sociology, you know this is not the case. This is not the case. Isn't it a little bit suspicious when people all come to the same independent, in, <laughs> excuse me. Isn't it a little bit suspicious when people all come to the same independent conclusion about the same thing at the exact same time? Have you ever seen that happen? Like all the people I know who independently decided to deconstruct their faith last year were all mystics five years ago and hardcore Calvinists five years prior. They didn't do it together. They just did it independently at the same time. Or have you ever noticed how people who live in the same area will often share opinions but differ from people like themselves who live in another area? Like, why are most 25-year-olds in Tulsa, Oklahoma super conservative, but most 25-year-olds in Madison, Wisconsin are super liberal? You begin to see this kind of thing as you travel the world. You meet people who are hilariously the same, who have hilariously different opinions from each other based simply on geography. Or when they were born. Or where they went to school. It's because we all tend to take on the story of the people around us. If you share the same ideas, opinions, political views as all the people you grew up with in your hometown, it doesn't mean you're wrong. It just means you didn't make that decision yourself. Right? Not necessarily. Maybe you did. Maybe you did. And none of us Myself included, are thinking for ourselves 100% of the time. We mostly manifest the story given to us by the world around us. And this is normal, by the way. It's part of what it means to be human. But as we grow up, 
we can and should begin to curate our influences, we should take responsibility for our story. The goal, by the way, isn't to be entirely independent because we're a system of systems and we don't believe independently. And I love the idea of the individual because I think responsibility is best served as an individual. But don't don't think for a second that we don't believe and think together in groups because we do. Your body is a system of systems and human beings exist and operate as systems of systems. There's no shame in that. But not knowing that is a problem. I believe that to be a disciple of Christ is to make the person of Jesus our primary influence. Or some would say to bring your story in submission to Christ. A disciple is an apprentice, a student, or a Padawan learner. The comic book convention is in town this weekend. I've gone every day so far. Also, I realize submission is a triggering word for some. And I understand why. But the truth is, as Brother Dylan has, says, you've got to serve somebody. See, you will submit to something or you will submit to something else. The real choice is not if, but who. So either you choose your Lord or your Lord will be chosen for you. So who is the Lord of your story? Will you submit your story to culture and marketing? Will you submit it to your appetites and ambitions? Will you submit it to your trauma and anxiety? Or will you serve somebody else? As Chagar says in No Country for Old Men, I can't call it for you. You've got to call it. But what am I calling it for? Everything. Let's read another parable. Is this cool? Let's jump back to earlier in Matthew 13 and read chapter 13, 1. I realize I've overprepared. So I'm going to fast forward because I think that um, church before 12 is a virtue. Anything that happens after 12 is all man-made. Everything before noon is God. Not true, but everything before noon has potential to be God. Everything afternoon has potential to be something else. The parable of the sower. 13, 1, and then jump down to like 13, 3. A sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seeds fell along the earth, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell along rocky ground where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no root, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. And his disciples did not apparently have ears to hear, so he had to explain it to them. And he did so in 1318. Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away 
what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. As for what was sown on the rocky ground, this is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy, yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while, and then tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word. Immediately he falls away. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. As for what was sown to good soil, this is the one who hears the word and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields, in one case a hundredfold, in another sixty, and in another thirty. What he's saying is everyone has different kinds of fruit there. Maybe just don't look at the hundredfold person all the time on Instagram if you're a 30 or a 60. That's Jesus. Um, but have you noticed, obviously there are four types of soil. The soil of misunderstanding. The soil of trouble. The soil of anxiety. The cares of the world. The deceitfulness of riches. And then the good soil. Have you ever realized... I used to read this and think, these are four different types of people. And then I realized that all four soils are in me. We all misunderstand. We all face tribulation and trouble. We all have anxiety and face lack in our lives. But maybe we all possess good soil too. So initially it seems like Jesus is talking about different people but I don't think he is necessarily. I think as usual, he's talking about, he's talking about us. We always think he's talking about them, but he's always talking about us. So maybe the question is, what type of soil are you choosing? What defines your story? Is your primary story one of misunderstanding? Are you one of those people who can't engage in something if you don't feel like you can know the end from the beginning? Do you find this often paralyzes you? How often do you feel like the years have been stolen from you because you've remained paralyzed because you don't understand something enough to get engaged in it? Or is your story defined by your troubles and your trauma? Are you always a victim? Is everything always someone else's fault? Do you ever take responsibility for who you are becoming? Or do you leave that to everybody else? Or is your story defined by anxiety and fear? Are you a survivor? Nothing is enough, so you got to have more, more, more. You need that promotion. You need that big break. But then one day you look back and wonder how much you missed out on because you were running after the next thing. What kind of soil are you cultivating? What's the fruit of your life? Is it love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, generosity, self-control, dependability, gentleness? If not, then what soil are you living from? Gentleness is a fun one, by the way. I like the gentle churches. Do you know the fruit of the Spirit is gentleness? Do you know the fruit of the Spirit is dependability? Do you know the fruit of the Spirit is generosity? 
did you know the fruit of the Spirit is joy? That's a good one. That's a real good one. That's one we forget about a lot. Sometimes you feel like to serve the Lord means you got to be frustrated all the time. Got to be mad at all those sinners. Kind of like those people I had it out with protesting the comic book convention yesterday. It's probably not the right thing. I told them they were driving people away from God and that it made them feel righteous, but they're actually being used as tools of the devil. And Maybe I was out of line. But, but they were gone when I came back out to eat lunch. But I was just thinking like, Maybe you mean well with your big signs telling everyone who's going to the comic book convention that they're going to hell. It's like, but is this effective? Even if you're right in your opinion, like, does this work? Have you ever stopped to think, is this working? Or maybe I should buy a ticket and go in and like, get to know some of the cosplayers and find out what motivates them. and Show them the love of God in another way besides screaming at them on the sidewalk. And I just... Entirely ineffective, if you ask me. Of course, someone later on is going to come up and be like, yeah, I came to the Lord by a street preacher. Yeah, yeah I had a friend who came to the Lord by a drug addict, so is it effective? Lord, forgive me for my judgment and forgive them for being so hard to deal with. All right. We have one minute. So I'm going to wrap things up this way. First of all, I'm going to say Jesus fully intends for your life to produce good fruit. We just don't always understand what that fruit is. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. That doesn't always sound like what people talk about when they're talking about the kingdom, does it? Peace and joy. In the parable of the talents, this uh, businessman is leaving and he has these three servants and he gives them each money. And he goes away. And the first two invest the money and give him more money back. And the third one hides the money and just gives him his money back. And and in the parable, uh, the, the, the businessman uh, looks at this last servant and calls him wicked. And he takes his money and he gives it to one of the other servants. Says so he casts him into the outer darkness. We can talk about the outer darkness another time. But then Jesus says this really hard thing at the end of that parable. He says, to those who have, more will be given. To those who do not have, what they do have will be taken away. That is a hard one, isn't it? To those who have, more will be given. To those who don't have, what they do have will be taken away. But here's what's interesting. To those who don't have, what they do have will be taken away. I thought they didn't have anything. But I guess that's the point. They did not recognize what they had. 
So they lost that too. In life, lack is a real thing. Lack is a real thing. There are people who lack things they actually really, really need. And many of us go through seasons where we're missing out on something that we actually do need. But you cannot afford to live your life from a place of lack. The story of a survivor and the story of a tyrant are the same story. Neither have enough. But Jesus wants you, even in your lack, even in your real lack, he wants you to learn how to live from a place of abundance. Let's think back to the story of Charlotte. To Conrad, the rock was pretty. To John, the rock was useful. To the banker, the rock was profitable. But to the thousands of us who came here in hopes of a better life, the story of the rock was transformational. So what if I told you that you are solid gold? Are you just something pretty to look at? Are you alive just to collect likes on the socials? Or are you just a doorstop, a utility, a robot with no inherent value or purpose outside of your function? Or are you a survivor? Are you a breadwinner, a moneymaker, a profiteer? Or does your internal story speak of something with immense value instead? What if the story of your life could be told in such a way that others would see it and find new potential for their own lives, even to the point where they would be willing to give up everything to be a part of something greater? And what if after years and decades, maybe even long after you're gone, this story could continue to speak and grow and bear witness to the goodness of God in the hearts of the people you loved and the people they loved and the people they loved and the people they loved? What if after your name, what if after your name was long forgotten, the waves and ripples of your life could continue to be felt and push up against the shores of people you never met. Wouldn't you want to live a life like that if you could? Well, I don't guarantee much, but here's something I do guarantee Jesus can teach you how to cultivate a life like that if you will let him get a hold of your story for long enough. So let's pray. Why don't you stand up? You know, the word repent has a really bad rap. The word repent often comes along with this like guilt and shame connected to it. But it really just means to change your mind. 
And it also isn't a one-time thing. It's kind of a constant thing. It's a blessing to know you're doing something wrong. It doesn't mean that you're flawed. It just means you need a little more information sometimes, maybe. But we're so afraid to be wrong because we feel like we have to be right in order to fit in with the group. Well, guess what? In Jesus, you don't. In Jesus, you don't have to be right. You're already invited. And then, if you want to be right, you get to. As long as you're willing to change your mind. Well, Lord Jesus, we love you. And we thank you. And we are grateful for what you've done for us. What you're doing for us. For the story that we get to be a part of that you started long, long, long ago. And we want to be a transformed people. And we will be a transformed people. A people of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. A people of love and generosity and goodness. Lord Jesus, would you continue to invite us into the process? Would you show us the joy that is there for us to have in embracing the long-term In embracing the long-term practice of becoming a disciple, of becoming an apprentice, of becoming a Padawan learner. Love you so much in Jesus' name. Amen. I think we have ministry teams. If you want to get prayer for uh, anything really. Maybe this might be a moment for you to um, think about your story and ask the Lord. You know, a lot of you have lost your story. I know, because I lose mine on a regular basis. A lot of you have lost your story. A lot of you have been entertaining the wrong story. But whatever it is, if you feel like you need to uh, help changing your mind, come up and get some prayer. It'll be good for you. Thank you guys so much. You are dismissed. All right. Thank you, guys. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.